Well, good morning once again. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I've said this before, and, and, and I just I have to say it again. You know, whether you're skeptical, seeking, grieving, or rejoicing this morning, know this, that God is here in our midst. And God wants to speak and meet you right where you are. But the good news is he doesn't want to leave you as you are. Amen? Amen. And I want to welcome all of you that may be here for the first time or tuning in for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, my name's Andy. I serve as one of the pastors here along with Pastor Ann. And and, uh, I think I can speak on behalf of all of us that we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're tuning in. And want you to know that you're always welcome here at The Way, where we're committed to introducing people to Jesus. How? By sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. That's who we are. That's what we strive to do. And and it's been really neat, and Christy kind of alluded to this in her prayer. It's been, I don't know about you, but it's been really moving the last few weeks to hear from you, from some of you, the men and women here that have, have been bold enough to share part of their story with us and, and how their encounter with Jesus and, and engaging in, in his body, the church, has begun to transform their lives and transform their stories. And they've recognized that their story is part of a bigger story. And it doesn't stop with them. It's the same is offered to you and to I as well. Amen? And we've also had the chance to dive into Scripture and to look at the lives of those that are captured there, like Leah and Levi, that of Joseph and Esther. We've, we've looked at a number of people's lives and their stories and how they, too, having encountered God, have forever been changed. Their lives have been changed. Their stories have been changed. And they, too, became part of God's bigger redemptive story. And we're going to continue that today, but we're going to go into a story where we don't know their name. We know that it's a woman that Jesus encounters at the well. You may know that story. It's in John chapter 4, but we don't know her name. But her story is extremely significant. In fact, if you look at John and all of the encounters that John captures in his gospel, stories of Jesus encountering individuals, This takes up the most space of any other encounter in the entire gospel. So this is something significant. This is someone of significance. And John wants us to to, to learn from this. And and we know her often as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. But, um, and, you know, if if we had all day today, I'd read the whole of the encounter with you. But I won't. I'll spare you that. But I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible app or if you have a Bible handy. In fact, uh, you know that one of our core values is grounded in God's Word. If, If you look at the back of the pew, we have new Bibles that we have placed out there. Those are for you. They're for using in worship. If you don't have a Bible at home, it's for you to take home. We want to put the Word of God into the hands of the people of God. But I invite you to turn to chapter 4, because I'm going to jump in kind of late to the game, if you will, to reflect in on one aspect of this story. But I'm going to have us reflect on the whole of this encounter as we continue to meditate on God's Word. So I'm going to begin in verse 27, and it reads this in the NIV translation. Just then... His disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you, would you join me in, in praying this morning as we continue? Lord, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that the written word is not simply a static word, but it is the living word. It all points towards you and towards your son, Jesus Christ, the word. So God, I pray that no matter what we brought in here, 
on our hearts and minds. God, that you would open our hearts and minds to hearing from you, even in spite of myself. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said? Amen. 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 You know, I've looked at this story a number of times, and, and there's a lot of things that I've taken away from this encounter that Jesus has with this woman. But, but this past week, and, and really over this past summer, there's been a part of this that has stuck out with me, and it's this where I picked up with, where it says, Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. Surprise. It begs the question, where were they? Because obviously they've been off somewhere. And, and why in the world are they surprised that he would be talking to a woman, talking to this person? Well, to, to get a grasp of that, we have to zoom out. We have to know a little bit of the context of the text to understand that. And, and if you look back, you recognize the beginning of John chapter 4, that Jesus has kind of caused a stir. He's kind of created enough attention in Judea where he is. John the Baptist has been preaching and baptizing. Now he's preaching and baptizing him. Even more people are coming to Jesus and the Pharisees take notice. And he's like, I just need to bow out of this. So he goes from Judea to Galilee. And if you know anything about geography, Judea is in the southern part of what was ancient Israel. Now it's occupied by Roman rule. Galilee is in the north and in between is this place called Samaria. And if you look at verse 4, it says that he had to go. He had to go. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm a logistical person. You can ask my family. I like to talk about logistics, logistically speaking, right, Claire? Logistically speaking, the quickest way from Judea to Galilee is through Samaria. But there's a little thing you need to know about Samaria, a little thing you need to know about Samaritans that perhaps is part of the reason that these disciples are a little surprised that he is speaking to someone there. Because, you see, these Samaritans were perceived as less than. These Samaritans were perceived as half-breeds. These Samaritans were Jewish people that were part of the northern kingdom in ancient Israel. And when Assyria took them over and took them into exile, what they did is they intermarried. And in that, they were introduced to other religions and they intermixed their faith with that of the Assyrians. And the Jewish people that were part of the southern kingdom also got conquered. They got conquered by Babylon, and they got hauled off too. But when they married and when they did that, they did not intermarry, and they did not introduce other faiths. They didn't blend and mix them in. And so the Jews looked upon the Samaritans as half-breeds. They looked at them as unclean. They had, they had allowed some impurity, if you will, into the people that were called the people of God set apart God. And so part of what perhaps surprises the Samaritans, or not the Samaritans, the disciples, is that he's speaking to a Samaritan. I mean, any upstanding Jew would do anything and everything to avoid going through Samaria. Logistically speaking or not, they would go around. But we find that Jesus had to go. He wasn't forced to go. But Jesus chose to go. To go to a place that others would tell him not to go to a people that they would tell him not to engage with. And so we find that he journeys to a town called Sakar. There's a, there's a well on the outskirts of town. It's the midday. It's kind of hot. And so Jesus is taking a rest, and his disciples decide to go into town and go through the drive through at McDonald's and get Happy Meals for everybody because they're hungry. Y'all with me? 
Uh, they weren't McDonald's back then, and it probably wasn't even kosher, so it probably wasn't what they were going to get. But they were hungry nonetheless, so, so the reason that they're returning is they've gone off to find food, and in the middle of that, he's having this conversation, and so when they get back, they thought he was just going to kind of chill out and rest while they found food, and they find him not only speaking to a Samaritan, but also to a woman. And in that, what he's, what they're seeing is that he has not only crossed these ethnic barriers that had been set up, if you will, between Jews and Samaritans, but he's crossing socioeconomic uh, or socio norms of that day where women were not to be spoken to by men. They, men were discouraged to speak to women in public. And yet here we find Jesus doing just that. And so as they return with their happy meals, they're finding him speaking not only to a Samaritan, but also to a woman. And they're a little bit surprised. I think in many ways that's perhaps why they found themselves surprised there at the well. But what's interesting is if you start looking at the conversation that took place before they return on the scenes, before what we read today, we find that this woman's equally surprised. She too is surprised at this encounter. And in part, I think she's surprised because she's, she's surprised to find anyone at the well. It's high noon. It's hot as snot outside. This is not when you go and draw water. If you're drawing water for your home, you, you go in the cool of the day, either in the morning or in the evening. This is often when that was done. Often it was done by women in that day. But whoever was doing it, they would come in the morning or in the evening, not in the middle of the day. And so we find this woman coming, not anticipating anyone, much less Jesus, to be there at the well. She's not anticipating a conversation. In fact, maybe she's even avoiding a conversation by coming at the time of day that she has come. And yet what we find is that Jesus initiates a conversation. He, he asks her a simple question. Could you give me something to drink? And, and it's there where I think we really realize that she's surprised by this conversation. I mean, her, her response back to him shows that she understood the ethnic barriers and the social norms of that day, if you look back at verse 9, it says this, where she's speaking to Jesus, says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John fills in for us the context that we've been talking about, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And as you continue to read, you can, you can perhaps anticipate that maybe part of the other reason she's surprised is that her experience with other men maybe told her that Jesus was asking for something more than a drink of water. And the truth is, he was asking for more. He was after more, but not for himself, but for her. To fill a void in her heart that only God could fill. And we see that as he, he responds to her asking that question, how, how could you ask me for a drink? He goes on to say this in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I love the way that this woman responds this because she's like me. It's very practical. You know, she's, she's looking around. She observes he has nothing to draw water with. And in and, 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 and looking at that, she, she responds this way in verse 11. says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you go to get this living water? And then she gets a little sassy. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus' response was a beautiful one. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up 
to eternal life. At this moment, the woman in this dialogue, I think, I think she's in awe. I mean, she's in shock that, that this, this, this rabbi, no less, this Jewish rabbi is speaking to her and, and offering this to her. And, and, and it sounds too good to be true, and, and, but she's still thinking in literal terms. Because she's thinking that if I get this living water, I don't have to do this chore every day. How many of y'all would not want to have to clean the house or get water or whatever it is that we do every day or every week, right? You know, she's still thinking in that way. And maybe she's even thinking, well, if he'll give me this, I don't have to keep coming here so I can continue to avoid people. I don't have to come in a time when, when others aren't here. Maybe that's why she was excited about this. But whatever the case. Jesus begins to flip the script a little bit. If you look at this, he continues to talk about and he begins to address other wells that she's been going to, her relationship with men. He says, hey, listen, go get your husband and come back. And, and she's forthright. She says, listen, I have no husband. And he says, you're right in answering that way. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And he begins to speak to a deeper, deeper soul carving of her life. Talks about the well of the well of relationships with men that she keeps going to, but she keeps going back to those, and it never satisfies that deeper longing within her. And if you see how the conversation unfolds, he, she kind of almost like deflects a little bit. And says, "Yeah, you know, but you know, you, you Jews say you have to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, and, and you know, we we claim we can worship here on this mountain here in, in Samaria." And and Jesus responds, "You know, there's going to be a day, and it's going to come soon. It's not about where you worship; it's about how you worship." Those that worship in spirit and truth, that's, that's, what, that's what God's after. It doesn't matter where. And, 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 and in that, he begins to minister to her heart, and she says, yeah, but you know, when the Messiah comes, and, and, and she's looking for that day when that promise of the one that would deliver them, and perhaps in her case, deliver very personally, the baggage and the, and the, the shame that she's carrying would deliver her. And, and he says, I am he. I am he. Picture the scene. You know, the, the, the TV show, the, the Chosen, has me in tears every time I watch this segment. And I encourage you to watch it because it's a very moving segment. I can't help but wonder if tears well up in her in that moment when she begins to realize for the first time, perhaps, that God sees her. And not only that God sees her, but how God sees her. You see, Jesus, in choosing to go to her, and then in what he has to reveal to her, begins to reveal the heart of God and how God sees her. You see, Jesus sees her, and Jesus sees you. Jesus sees me quite differently than I think often we see ourselves, much less how we see other people. In fact, I think that's the part of this this interaction, this engagement that's just been hanging with me over the last several weeks and months is, is how the disciples were surprised. And what were they seeing? What were they seeing in her? And what were they seeing in themselves? And, and, and what do we see in ourselves? And what, what do we see in others? And, and I got to reflecting on that. And I was thinking about, you know, when, when we take a look at ourselves, when you take a look at yourself, perhaps you find yourself maybe in one of two camps. You know, one of the ways I think often we find ourselves is, is, is that we, we find sometimes maybe it's hard to get beyond our past, to get beyond our failures. Sometimes we, we buy into the lies that we're, we're not good enough to be loved or we've gone too far to be redeemed. Anybody been there? Anybody there today? 
You know, you know, sometimes that's where we find. And so we find ourselves much like this woman. Sometimes we're going through life. We, we retreat, don't we? We isolate. We go to the well in the middle of the day because hoping that no one else is going to be there. We try to become invisible. Maybe, maybe that's where you are this morning is that's how you see yourself. But you have to also ask your question, if that's not how you see yourself, maybe you see yourself as the disciples. They're coming up on the scene and they're, they're surprised because they can't even see themselves. In some ways, they've become so pious, they've become so prideful, maybe in a way that, that they can't see their own flaws and their own hurts. And so they're surprised at, at seeing Jesus speak to someone that, that they've been brought up and trained to see as less than. Any of y'all been brought up or trained to see someone or some group or some other group as less than or avoid? I think we all have, if we're honest. And, and yet, sometimes we can't even see that, that. We can't even see ourselves for that. You see, either way, we fail to see ourselves as Christ Jesus sees us. Either way, we fail to see ourselves the way Christ Jesus sees us. And then when it comes to looking to other people, how many of us, how often do we struggle to look beyond someone else's past, someone else's failures, someone else's shortcomings? In fact, how often do we dwell on those because of either bitterness or woundedness or unforgiveness or a sense of insecurity in ourselves? And so we've got to put someone else down. We've got to focus in on their flaws rather than our own. Jesus had something to say about that. You know, the speck and the plank, right? How often do we look to other people like that? We can't see beyond their past toward their future. You see, I think if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with one another, that's a temptation we all fall into at times. I've been guilty of that. Anybody else willing to admit they've been guilty of that? I think many, if not all of us, have. So let me press in a little bit further and ask you, those of you that are followers of Jesus, how can we do this? How in the world can we do that if we know that we have a Savior that has died for you and for me, that has has offered himself, has shed his blood to extend grace and forgiveness and freedom for us, and we look down on someone else, and we fail to realize that the same grace and forgiveness is for them that is for us? Let that sit with you for a minute. That's been sitting with me for a little bit. You see, the beauty is, is what John captures in this encounter is that Jesus sees differently. Even when we cannot see beyond one's past and one's failures to one's destiny and one identity, Jesus can and Jesus does. When Jesus looked to this woman, he didn't see her past and her failures. He saw her future. He saw her potential. He began to speak life into her. He began to to, to allow that living water to fill her, to fill her to overflowing to the point. Did you see what she did? She she left the water jug behind. And what did she do? She went and went and shared with the people that everyone else around them was trying to go around. She brought a whole town to introduce them to Jesus. You see, ultimately what Jesus saw in her was an evangelist. Someone willing to share the good news that she had just encountered with someone else. I can't help but think that that's what Jesus sees in you too. And each and every one of us, when we begin to encounter Jesus, we begin to lay down what we've been carrying and go and share what we just picked up. God's grace, God's mercy for our lives. You see, this woman's life changed with her encounter with Jesus. She embraced that invitation by Christ for her story to become part of a much bigger story, God's story. And that same reality is afforded to you and to me and to all of humanity because what we see is that Jesus isn't just about crossing ethnic lines. 
He isn't just about crossing social norms. He crossed the greatest divide there ever has been or ever will be, our bent towards sin. It separates us from the one who created us and separates us from one another. The one that, it, it's, it's that sin, it's that bent towards sin, isn't it? That gets between us and others, gets between us and God and, and creates havoc in our relationships. Jesus had to go there too. Think about that. Wasn't forced to. He chose to. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to score its, scorn its shame. To lay down his life for you, for me, for all of humanity. That ought to show you the depth of God's love for you and for me and for all of humanity. Praise be to God for that. Amen? That's the great news. Jesus sees you differently. And so I leave you a, a twofold challenge. And the first is for those of us that have already laid claim to, to being followers of Jesus. Are you willing to go where he's calling you to go? He had to go to Samaria. He was compelled. Who is it? Where is it? That Jesus is calling you to go. And to see in them and to sow into them their potential, their destiny, and their identity that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to see those people, whoever those people are, as equal in the eyes of God? Because that's the way Jesus sees them. Because i got news for you. You know, the spectators around Jesus, they were critical and skeptical of him going to Samaria, right? There are going to be people today that are going to be skeptical and critical of you willing to cross that line, whether it's a political line, whether it's a social line, whether it's an ethnic line, whether it's a gender line, whatever that line is for you, to go to the Samaria that God's called you to. Because we're called to be what? Witnesses. Go to Judea, Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth, right? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to take the heat? And secondly, for those that are here today that maybe find themselves more like that woman at the well, I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. For those of you that can't see beyond your past, for those of you that can't see past the lies that you've allowed to to define and confine you, Jesus sees you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus extends his grace to you. Jesus extends his forgiveness to you. Jesus desires to be in a relationship with you. He's inviting you, just like the woman at the well, would you just simply allow him in? Would you allow him to to fill your heart with the living water that will quench that unquenchable thirst that you've been going to anywhere and everywhere else for? He's willing. He's here. He wants to meet with you. If you don't know this Jesus, there are here, there are people sitting to your left and right that might already know Jesus. Would you be willing just to ask them, say, would you share with me your journey with Jesus? Allow them to share their story with you, just like we've heard of stories over the last several weeks. Or come talk to Pastor Ann and I. Don't miss out on the opportunity that Jesus has for you today because he sees you.
He's come for you. And he wants to speak to you. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up and lead us in a song. And as they do, I want to invite you to let you know that this prayer rail is open. Maybe you need to lay down some things today. Some things that you've been holding on to. Maybe some misgivings as to how you've seen other people. Maybe you need to come to him and, and allow him to speak to your heart. Because you're like the woman at the well and you've been hiding and running all this time. And he's there in clear sight, willing to come to you in the heat of the day, in the heat of the moment, and to speak to you. He's willing to speak to you right here, right now. So I'm going to close us in prayer here and then I'm going to allow them to play. But as they play, the rail's open. Jesus is here. He sees you. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you. I thank you for... The fact that you see us in a light that so often we fail to see ourselves, whether we are prideful and arrogant and we can't see our flaws or whether we cannot see past our past and toward a future. No matter how we see ourselves, thank you for the way that you see us and that you had to come for us and that you chose to come for us. God, give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us as worthy It's forgivable, lovable, willing to walk in relationship with us. God, give us eyes to see the other in the same light that they too are worthy, lovable, forgivable. Not out of our strength, but out of yours and out of your love in us that flows through us to them. God, empower us as a church to go where we're sent. And to not worry about what spectators might have to say. To go anyway. And to not be surprised and yet be completely surprised at the same time in the way that you show up and show off and reveal yourself in the midst of where we're willing to go and who we're willing to meet with. Because you go before us. You go behind us and you hem us in. Lord, thank you for that this morning. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.